step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello and welcome to episode 355 of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me this week. When we head north of the border to Scotland and that most terrifying of criminals, a violent man capable of extreme violence, which could be triggered by the tiniest of provocations, if any provocation at all. So let's set some context for today's story with our guest the month and year game. Last week, if you recall, I thought the chicken song was a new low for this podcast, but I was wrong. This week's number one in the UK was the X Factor winners with Hero. Have you got that in your music collection? (laughs) In the US, at number three was If I Were a Boy from Beyonce. And Pink topped the Australian album charts with her dedication to Rochdale Funhouse. In the news this month, Reg Varney of On The Buses fame died at 92. There was some more unbelievably exciting news from the incredibly dramatic and exciting sport that is F1 as Lewis Hamilton, that non-ironic hero of Net Zero, clinched a world championship. Twilight, the movie based on the book by Stephanie Mayers, premiered. The names and contact details of more than 12,000 members of the far-right British National Party were published online by a disgruntled activist breaching data protection laws. And no one wants to do that, right? In a Newsnight special, is it even on anymore? I've not seen it for years, have you? Jeremy Paxman referred to guest Dizzy Rascal as Mr. Rascal. Look, give me a break here. It was a slow <laughs> it was a slow news month, okay? And finally, in UK True Crime News, the Conservative Shadow Immigration Minister Damien Green was arrested on suspicion of conspiracy to commit misconduct in public office. So did you guess the month and year? It was November 2008. Maybe next week, huh? This week's episode is sponsored by Canva for Teams. I'm not just here for top crime stories, deep insight and top class comedy. Oh no. Creating visual content is an essential part of what I do as host of the UK's 37th most popular non-award nominated true crime podcast. But the creative process and the design doesn't come easy to me. But as I now produce a weekly video and post at least two other pieces of design content a week, it is more important than ever that it's as good as it can possibly be. And this is where Canva for Teams has transformed this part of my life, as with their templates and the way everything on Canva is so straightforward and intuitive, it makes it easy, even for me, to produce effective and consistent posts. I'm particularly loving Canva whiteboards at the moment. It's a super easy way to capture your team's best ideas with loads of space to brainstorm and collaborate. 
So if you're producing content for your social channels, or have been maybe put off by doing so, it can seem a bit daunting, can't it? But you don't need to wait any longer. Try it today. Design and collaborate with Canva for Teams. Right now, you can get a free 45-day extended trial when you go to canva.me slash truecrime. That's C-A-N-V-A dot M-E slash truecrime for a free 45-day extended trial. Canva.me slash truecrime. Okay, so let's get on with today's story, which begins in Maybole in rural Ayrshire towards the southwest of Scotland. This village of just over 4,000 people is about 10 miles south of Ayr and 50 miles southwest of Glasgow. It's located close to the birthplace of Robert Burns, the Scots national poet, and Burns's mum, Agnes, actually lived in Maybole. It was here in this quiet village that 34-year-old Amjid Ishmael and his family ran a grocer's shop known locally as Johnny's. They lived in the village for 20 years and were very well known and respected by all the locals. Their shop, like in so many villages, it played a valuable role not just in selling grocery products, but also as a meeting place for people as it sat in the heart of the village. The 8th of November 2008 was a proud day for the family as the parents, Mohammed, known as Johnny, and Rashida were at a passing out parade for their youngest son, Amjam, who's now a serving police officer. Amjid's sister, Musart, is a doctor and her brother, Amir, was studying to be a lawyer at the time. Now, Amjid suffered from learning difficulties and his parents had been building up the grocery shop to pass on to him. On this day, the rest of the family attended the passing out parade and this left Amjid to run the store on his own, something he'd done many times before. A recent resident of Maybole was John McGeehan, but unlike the Ishmael family, he was certainly no pillar of the community, having only recently moved to the area following his release from prison. In jail, he had developed an addiction to heroin and with that most addictive of drugs he would do anything to get the money he needed for his next fix. At this time he had no income and he was using four £10 bags of heroin a day. So to McGeehan the quiet grocery run by the Ishmael family looked an easy place to rob to get some easy money. He planned the robbery for November the 8th but it didn't go to plan and in a struggle with Amjid McGeehan stabbed him eight times and ended up fleeing the grocer's shop just after 6pm with not a single penny. But he did have Amjid's phone, which he had taken from him as Amjid desperately tried to call the police to get some help. But Amjid had dialed an incorrect phone number, and he actually left a message on the answer phone for a resident of the village, which recorded in terrifying detail his struggle with McGeehan, and his anguished cries for help as he was seriously injured during the attack. McGeehan was covered in blood, and after racing away from the scene, he dumped his blood-stained jacket and the knife in bushes, not far from the grocery store. Meanwhile, Amjid was in a really serious condition, and losing a lot of blood, having been stabbed in the neck, body and face, and his jugular vein had been severed. A customer found him slumped over the counter in the shop, And despite being rushed to the hospital in air, the medical staff 
were unable to save his life. His injuries were too terrible. Ajmed Ishmael was just 34 years old when he lost his life in this utterly, utterly senseless attack. McGeehan, in his desperation for heroin, hadn't planned the robbery professionally and the whole attack was covered by CCTV and the very individual designer jacket he'd been wearing was soon recognised and along with the answer phone message, McGeehan was soon in police custody. The community, as you can imagine, were in total shock at what had happened in their small village, with one neighbour saying the following. Amjid and his family were good, decent, hard-working people. I know Johnny, the dad, very well. He built that shop up for Amjid. When this happened, they closed it and they sold up. The boys used to help people get their shopping home. They're a great family. This whole community came together when Amjid was killed. Old, young, rich and poor. Everyone was devastated. A book of condolence was established in the town hall and flowers were left outside the scene of the crime. And the school, which was attended by all the Ishmael family, raised money for a memorial bench dedicated to Amjid, which is now in a peaceful spot in the town hall garden. A place to sit and reflect. But what happened next led to feelings of real anger among the community. It turned out that John McGeehan had killed before. It had happened in February 1996 in Cranhill, which is a traditionally tough part of Glasgow to the northeast of the city. It was a community built in the 50s to ease the post-war housing shortage. The victim this time was 24-year-old Martin Siegler. And after Amjid's murder... Martin's mum, Pat, told the Daily Record exactly what had happened to Martin. I remember every detail of what happened to my son. Martin had his own flat, but he came to my house for breakfast. That's what he did the day he died. On the way, he came across some of his pals and their kids playing snowballs in the street. The Geekin had two wild mongrel dogs, and they were barking on his veranda, so Martin lobbed a snowball at them to shut them up. The snowball didn't hit the dogs, but McGeekin came out and shouted at Martin and lunged at his face with a carving knife. Martin punched the knife with his hand and his pinky was cut off. The knife went into McGeekin's arm, but he pulled it out and plunged it through Martin's chest, cutting his heart in half. A witness to the gruesome scene picked up what happened next. They said, I saw the boy on the ground with a girl holding his hand, telling him to keep breathing. I ran out and put a blanket around him. His eyes were open, but his mouth was gaping and he was really still. The girl opened his shirt and there was a two-inch dab wound to his heart with blood around it. I heard one of the ambulance say no response and they put him in the back and drove off without any sirens. I mean, just before that, the kids were all throwing snowballs and laughing. And that's the point, isn't it, about this sort of crime. One minute everybody's just enjoying themselves, uh, just a normal day, and then suddenly the day isn't normal any longer. Martin's mum, Pat, continued that McGeekin was known to her and others who lived locally. She said he was a loner who lived with his mum, and he had a reputation locally as a man to steer clear of. I knew his mum and sister, and he was always a menace. Everyone was terrified of him, she said. He was involved in drugs and always carried knives, 
He'd chase people with knives and a hatchet, but the cases never got right through court because folk were too scared to testify against him. He's an animal. When he was asked why he killed Martin, he replied, he just happened to be there. Martin's sister, Colette, said of her brother, he was just a really nice guy, never a bad word to say about anyone. All he was doing was playing with the kids, like always. We can't believe he's dead. Our mum is still ironing his clothes as if he's still with us. She's trying to be strong, but every now and then she breaks down. Mum always did his washing and cooking and looked forward to having him around for dinner. She phoned us just before 3pm to say Martin hadn't appeared. She sounded shocked and said a boy had come round to tell her he'd been stabbed and had died. I just went hysterical and we all went round to mum's. I don't think what happened has sunk in yet. The police were called and went round to McGeekin's flat where they found him washing a 12-inch carving knife, the one he'd used to murder Martin. The lead detective, Brian McLaughlin, explained in his book Crime Stopper how the murder was the most senseless he'd seen in his long career. He also spoke of arresting McGeekin, saying, We climbed the stairs to his flat and knocked several times on the door. There was no answer. We cautiously entered the house and found our man in the kitchen. At the sink he appeared to be doing the dishes. Strange behaviour for someone who had just killed, I reckoned. But then I spotted one of the kitchen knives he had just been cleaning. It was a large knife. It looked like he had been doing his best to cover up the crime. He continued that McGeekin at first was very agitated, but by the time he'd been processed at the police station, he was very calm, very accepting of what had happened. At his trial, Martin's mum, Pat, was appalled that rather than face a charge of murder, the lawyers reached a deal so that he was instead facing the lesser charge of culpable homicide, which he admitted. Now, if like me, you're not quite sure what that means, let me just read it out to you. So culpable homicide is committed where the accused has caused loss of life through wrongful conduct, but where there was no intention to kill or any wicked recklessness is the term. It's an offence under common law and is roughly equivalent to the offence of manslaughter in England and Wales. For this, he was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Pat said, my son's life was worth more than a miserly 10 years. He was my baby and he was special. After being sentenced, shockingly, McGeekin was out on parole in just six years. I mean, really, who on earth could have thought that was a sensible idea, right? You agree? But he couldn't behave on the outside and he kept getting into trouble and being recalled. In the end, he left prison in 2006, having served most of his 10 years. In fact, he served nine years and one month for his sentence. It wasn't deemed safe for him to return to the close community of Cranhill. As emotions still ran high, Martin was a popular person. So instead, he moved to Maybole. Initially, he was staying in a hotel, but he managed to secure a council house close to where he murdered Amjid. At the trial for Amjid's murder, 47-year-old McGeekin talked of some alibi or other, and that is why he couldn't be guilty but the jury weren't convinced for a moment the evidence was so strong and he was found guilty of murder this time by unanimous decision. The judge sentenced him to life with a minimum of 20 years. 
Describing him as a danger to the public and as a wicked man, the judge said to him, you showed no mercy and used a knife repeatedly against a defenceless victim at his work. Despite his terrible injuries, he tried to summon help, but you stole the phone, taking away his only means of getting assistance. After the conclusion of the trial, in a statement, Amjid's brother Amir said, Words can't even begin to describe how difficult the last 18 months have been for the family. The shock, distress and pain of suddenly losing a member of your family in the most difficult of circumstances is very difficult to comprehend. Nobody can understand just how heartbreaking and soul-destroying it is to come home and find your parents in tears night after week after month in the knowledge there is nothing you can do to assist. There is no doubt in my mind that the individual responsible for this crime is an evil, cold and pathetic coward who clearly has no respect or dignity towards other members of the public. McGeehan stayed out of her news after his trial but only until 2008. It was then reported he'd been attacked in Schott's prison, Lanarkshire, by a fellow prisoner. As he slept on a bunk bed in his cell, he was stabbed 17 times with a smashed coffee jar. It was clearly a nasty assault, and McGeekin had staples and stitches put in his face and his body after being treated in hospital. Not a popular man amongst his fellow prisoners, a source was quoted as saying, No one is shedding any tears over McGeekin, but the bosses in the prison have ordered a big investigation. His cell was covered in blood and he was in a right mess. They've patched him up, but he'll be scarred for life. McGeekin is saying he doesn't know who did it, and there will be no shortage of suspects, given his past crimes. So what do you make of what we've heard today? It's another highly depressing story, isn't it? Let's start with the first attack on Martin Siegler, which resulted in his death at just 24. How could something as minor as just throwing a snowball at a flat to quieten McGeekin's dogs not in an aggressive way, according to witnesses. It was more in jest. But how can that possibly result in a reaction like the one we saw from McGeekin? And in front of a bunch of children enjoying themselves in the snow. The sort of action which will stay with those young people at the scene for life. And I fully agree with Martin's mum, Pat, that for him to face a lesser charge was just a dreadful decision. If this wasn't murder, then I really don't know what is. And as for the decision to let him out to kill again after such a short time, remember it was six years originally he got parole. Wow, it's hard to fathom, isn't it? Look, nobody wants to criticise the authorities who have tough decisions, tough jobs. It's tough decisions to make on a regular basis. But this wasn't one of them, was it? And this decision directly led to McGeekin murdering another man and devastating the lives of his family and friends. Sorry if I sound a bit like I'm ranting today, but it's one of the worst decisions I recall covering on this podcast and we have covered some absolute horrors. As many of you will know, I'm anti-prison for every single person except those who cause a danger to you, me and our families. I think we send way too many people to prison. But it's clear, isn't it, that McGeekin clearly deposed a danger to us. So what now for Amjid's devastated family? Any violent attack leading to death is hard for any family to accept. But this, when they know that the violent offender should have been safely behind bars, it must be almost impossible to accept. 
and one other thing to criticise the authorities for while we're at it, this time in the prison service. I appreciate, again, it's a tough job and it's not a nanny service. It's a really difficult job. But how can it be the case that McGeekin went inside as a dangerous violent offender and came out as a dangerous violent offender with a serious heroin habit? A habit that led him to kill for his next fix. Sometimes words fail me. Maybe you think I'm being harsh. I don't think so. And meanwhile, the families of Martin Siegler and Amjit Ishmael are left with a gaping, empty space in their lives where their loved ones should be. All those memories taken away by a coward and a loser like McGeekin. Our thoughts, of course, are with them. And I think McGeekin's still in prison. I certainly hope so. And a word for the authorities if they are considering parole for him. Please don't do it. I wonder how they would feel about it if they knew that McGeekin was going to be living next door to them or their families. So it was personal. I think we know the answer, don't we? Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story and any other aspect of UK True Crime, please head to Facebook and join over 91,000 of us who talk true crime 24-7. It's never dull, so why don't you head over there now and take a look and join in the conversation. And to support the show, and why wouldn't you, please do head to patreon.com slash crime for bonus episodes and loads of other exclusive content. A new full-length bonus episode is due to drop this week, so come and join us there and listen to that. A huge thank you to the latest members of this community. That's Zoe Everard, Lily Holland, Alison FR, Lisa Thornton and Madulla. Your support is really so much appreciated, as I hope you know. So please do join our community at patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime and help me continue to release free weekly content. Okay, so that's all from me for another week. So if you can, please do support my sponsor Canva and take a trial with them. It really is a good product and it keeps advertisers spending some money with independent podcasters like me. So until we speak again next week, I hope you have a good one and please do take it easy and remember, despite all the others, it's always the others. Stay classy. Cheerio for now. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.